This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week of human evil, slasher films and the real human monsters that inspired them. Oof. Okay, (laughs) so obviously we are continuing on with our Halloween special. Um, So we are talking all things creepy, scary and I guess crawly um, for this month leading up to Halloween. And something which I think both of us have sort of avoided is slasher films and serial killers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that um, (laughs) I have got a morbid fascination. There, There is, you know, when, you know, in the past where I've written Amy and Amy's like, yeah, you know, she says at one point to Fiona that Fiona's like, do you have any hobbies? And Amy says murder. In this, and then Amy's like, no, 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 I meant in terms yeah. of like, I want to get inside serial killers' heads and know what makes them tick kind of thing. I'm fascinated by it. I'm a little bit like that. But at the same time, I was reading through all the stuff for this afternoon and I actually managed to make the hairs on mm. the back of my neck stand up. So make of that what you will. Yeah. No, I think that, I actually think it's very normal to have like a like a fascination with with serial killers you know for the same reason that sometimes we see something unfurling in front of us and we cannot look away and it's this i think also one of the reasons why we can talk about and even gain entertainment from serial killers is because if you think about it the act the acts that they perform feel so inhuman i say inhuman but just feel so detached from what we're capable of that in some ways they almost feel like fiction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's so outside the realms of most people's experience. And, you know, I think this is why people reach for a conclusion and go, well, they're mad. Because, you know, there's absolutely... that It's very difficult to put an understandable motive on on what's happening. It's very difficult to to unravel the, the complex series of cause and event that actually turns people into this. Yeah, and I th- I think also that there is there is something to be said about people getting entertainment out of it because you know as Amy says the I want to understand why what makes them tick why do people do that I mean there is a fascination between the the what was the journey which led you to do this action um, now I personally think that it's very normal to do that but i do think there are some real ghouls yeah um when it comes to the subject who get very excited about it and sometimes forget that this is this is reality like for instance i will never understand people who will who who like who like ted bundy for instance there's the whole sort of who who are sexually attracted to ted bundy or whatever and and serial killer erotica it's like I mean, you know, I don't want to kink shame. Everyone's got the, got their thing, and I, you know, there's a difference between the fantasy and the reality. But the whole marrying serial killers on death row thing, I just that that kind of loses me a bit. <laughs> yeah, 
and yeah, again, as we say, that some perhaps it's part of some kind of you know a fantasy, and and it's a separation. But I think that sometimes people say and do things which don't take into account the real lives that have been ruined, um, and the people who have been hurt and destroyed by actual serial yeah, killers. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think there's a fine balance. I think everyone has sort of gets different things from it. Um, but let's explore that a little bit more today. Let's let's talk about slasher movies and serial yeah, killers. And, and that is the thing, because while this is a comparatively rare thing, a comparatively rare mm. set of people, um, it has inspired a huge amount of, you know, for lack of a better word, art in the form of film and horror, horror stories, horror books, graphic novels, you name it. Mm. Uh, and even in just character studies in, in various other books that aren't intended to be horror, and that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. Um, as we've said in a previous episode, you've got to be careful when you're basing something on a true story that you don't divorce it from its origins to the point where you're misrepresenting people who've been harmed, I think is, is what we're saying. Yeah. Particularly if one of your selling points is that it's based yeah, on definitely. a true story. Um, but anyway, this is intended to be a lighter look at what is actually a very gruesome subject. I'm not going to go into too much detail yeah. here because, you know what, I freaked myself out enough earlier. Um, so if you yeah. want more info on any of the serial killers we mentioned today, we recommend you do your own reading and we also recommend that you do it at your own discretion because it's difficult stuff to read. Yeah. And again, we've got to stress that we're not talking about fictional characters here. We are talking about real people and real victims and people who... Are, might still be affected by this so make sure that you take that yep, into consideration definitely. so why the fascination with serial killers why do we like slasher films catharsis yeah i mean <laughs> it, it is one of the most we've said this before with like ghost stories and things like that but for many types of horror the answer is at least partially catharsis um it's yeah. it's a case of there are very many circumstances for most of us, and we're fortunate in that way, where we have to deal with genuine fear. Um, not just the fear of doing mm. badly at work or the fear that, you know, uh, our other half is, is going off with someone else or something like that. You know, the, the tiny little fears, but genuine real fear of real evil. Not evil people, but evil being done to us. And mm. slasher films are largely quite unrealistic and they allow that us to process that feeling i think from a position of safe distance absolutely yeah um it's, it's kind of like roller coasters yeah. yeah you wouldn't want to live on one but every so often it's kind of fun yeah yeah it's the you know it's the illusion of the fall it's the illusion of imminent danger um but which you can enjoy because you know it's fiction, because you know it's fabricated, and allows you to process certain emotions. Um, I mean, I think for some people, slasher films, they watch them because they're comedic, because they feel so, you know, separated. And I think for some people, there's an other forms of catharsis, which is that slasher films sometimes have very particularly annoying characters. Yeah. Um, and because they're characters, they're not real people. They're like NPCs, you know. 
Um, you kind of get a little bit of catharsis out of watching them get killed, watching them get picked off and things like that. I say some people do that. I don't really do that because I'm just going to say this. I don't watch slasher films. I really don't like slasher films. I won't films. watch them. Um, this is where I'm different. I, there are a couple where I've actually found some entertaining, but in general, I just find them boring mm. because the gore isn't realistic. And I'm sorry, but... When I'm sat there thinking, yeah, I spent twelve years working in the NHS and I've seen worse than this. This is this is this is not right, kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, that yeah. that knocks me out. But I do understand the attraction for other people, and if you if you manage to Absolutely. combine it with compelling characterization and decent suspense, then I can actually find the odd one quite entertaining. But um, yeah, spatter punk yeah. is is boring Absolutely. in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, as I've said, just because I don't like it, that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate why other people like it, um, or what that I that I think the whole genre is messed up, or that people shouldn't watch it at all. I don't think that at all. It's I'm just saying that from my point of view, I don't really watch this genre, so of course my interpretation of the subject is going to come from that perspective, just as a heads up. Yeah, and, um, okay, I mean, other reasons that you know people like these sort of films well there's a fascination for humans who go badly wrong at some point in their development process as we've said and for yeah. me that's kind of where i get on the ride so if you've got more of a psychological thriller element to it then you'll probably get me on board because that does interest me mm, um so yeah. i probably come more from that sort of perspective um, I like the fact that it sort of forces us to confront and compare with aspects of ourselves that perhaps don't usually see the light of day, and it, it's something that most people don't want to don't want to think about. Maybe, but we all have a capacity for violence, and if we don't recognise that and we don't at least acknowledge it, then it can take us by surprise. I mean, mm. the whole idea of a crime of passion. Well, that's being pushed past the point of reason into doing something you would not conscionably do um, yeah but that's because that capacity for violence has been accessed by having your system overridden so i actually think that you know the, the slasher film can provide a useful service in some respects yeah it's also interesting that i think sometimes we watch these sort of slasher films because we watch them with the understanding of, well, I would survive that because I would make different <laughs> choices. I would be the final girl and I would not be traumatised when, you know, in reality, what would happen is, like, you'd hear the noise, you'd go looking and you'd be the first you'd one go... to die, probably. Well, yeah, that's the thing, is, like, in movies, you're like, what What are you doing? Don't go towards the sound. And yeah. then, and I always think, I wouldn't do that if I was in a movie. They don't know they're in a movie, guys. <laughs> like, if I hear a weird sound, I'll go and explore it because I'll think, you know, particularly if anyone has a pet... You hear a weird sound, you think, what are they eating? What are they eating now? Oh, God. Oh, God, is the cat throwing up again? Yeah, exactly. Or, oh, no, has, you know, a bird flown in or something like that. Um, which can you happen. You do. <laughs> yeah, which can happen. Or, you know, yeah, all, all sorts of stuff like that. You go, you do, you go and explore, etc. Um, so... Yeah, I think that there's that's part of the entertainment value. And sometimes um, it's just the adrenaline. There's the yeah. thrill of, you know, suddenly getting a massive adrenaline rush and then finding you're safe. And you've been safe all along, but, you know, yeah. that, that moment at the end where everything's resolved, or is it, kind of thing. People get high on that, and yeah. relatively harmlessly. Yeah. Um, 
and you know as we've said the gore is representative and it, it is often played for laughs yeah. um, b- because it's not realistic but it does allow viewers to consider the potential for violence um, as as you said before, I I do <laughs> I do laugh sometimes the way they do gore in slasher films and things like that. Um, You've just got to think that people's blood pressure must be like twelve times higher than the average human body was meant to contain. <laughs> yeah, well, I've actually I've got a fun fact for you, um, just with regards to the way that gore is done in cinema. So fun fact, you know, in particular, like Japanese films, whenever you see like the samurai or something like that and they get cut and there's a pause and then you get the blood and it goes out like that. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently this is way back when like old sort of black and white samurai movies, there was this director. He was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's like a legendary director, the kind of director who at one point, you know, they were filming something and he went, the stream is running the wrong way. And they had to get the stream to, they had to create channels so that the stream would run in the correct direction, (laughs) etc. Um, you know, uh, this brilliant guy um and they had this fight and the the, obviously for for bleeding and stuff like that the actors will wear these kind of these little pipes or stuff like that sort of under their clothes and during filming um as the the sort of the cut went in instead of just bursting like it was supposed to the little pipe um was cut instead and because of the pressure it did go out like that yeah and the director thought it was so funny he kept it in yeah. and because it was in that movie um it became like a, everyone started to do it it became a, a like a precedent which is why every anime now or anything like that you'll you'll see that big bl- and it's all from that director who went that's really funny let's keep it in it's kind of like <laughs> the uh what do they call it the, is it the the vorstein scream Whereby yeah. <laughs> um, it was actually from an old spaghetti western where one guy gets no it was it was from something before that um, they needed a scream to happen as some guys moving through a swamp were being attacked yeah. and one guy does this one scream and everyone was like that's the perfect scream so now whenever anyone gets shot with an arrow in a spaghetti western or falls off a cliff or something they dub that scream over it they do they do and it's like a game among sound editors that they will try and get it into every film that they can at least once you've just got to listen out for it you will find it in pretty much everything um but yeah so it started out as a joke it started out as that's really funny um and i think sometimes people now think it's a very serious thing but you've got to take it with that grain of humor because that's that's its origin yeah yeah, definitely. Uh, having said that, I have seen arterial spray before, and it does go quite a long way. It just doesn't last very long. No. Um, fun, 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 fun. Real life fun fact. fact. <laughs> um, oh God, it's so yeah. horrible. Okay, I'll I'll move away from that because I'll, I'll just be gross. Okay, so we're going to do some examples of serial killers and the films they've inspired. In some cases, they haven't inspired a specific film. It's just that as I talk about them you will see aspects that have turned up in various horror films, in various psychological thrillers, in various crime dramas and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you start realising it, you'll you'll notice them in, in loads. So for a largely, a largely small, uh, for a relatively small group of people, um, because, you know, it, it is genuinely quite a rare thing, they, mm. they garner 
for an astonishing amount of press because what they do is so horrific and so incomprehensible to the rest of us. Yeah. So let's start with Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer, as a young, charming man, three weeks out of high school, began his career of killing. His body count stands at at least 17. His modus operandi was strangulation, dismemberment, necrophilia and cannibalism. So, you know, quite the checkered oh, resume. Oh, Jesus. Like, like, you've not even sort of eased us into it. Oh, God. I've also not gone into detail. You'll notice this because I find him no, quite No, thank you. Please, yeah. He, he's, he is infamous. If you want to know more, you know, go and check it. Check him out at your own discretion. Uh, but basically, he lured young men home. He drugged them, strangled them. And, you know, you can fill in the rest from what I've just said. Yeah. Um, where is he now? Well, he was in, caught, imprisoned, and then beaten to death by a fellow prisoner. Right. In terms of films he inspired, just just think of a few slasher horror films where, you know, someone turns up and they appear to be a good Samaritan, but you know, actually, what's happening is you're you're going to end up cooked or you know stuffed in their freezer. You know, I can think of dozens of Hannibal. crime books. Yeah. Um, well, he was very specifically inspired by someone else, but we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. But yeah, I, I'm sure speak. that the minute you get someone like this in the zeitgeist it sort of sits there at the back of the back of anyone who writes or creates films minds and comes out yeah. when there's the opportunity because that's, that's what you get it, i mean he really he 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 touched it all like in terms of taboos it's like he went what are the what are the, our main big taboos yeah he's great um, i mean he he did follow the specific serial killer a pattern of not having a great relationship with his mother and then having one particular preference for a type of victim which was young men um yeah which i think people think serial killers and they think it's always women and actually it seems to be divided quite 50 50 mm. which i found yeah. quite interesting um because i'm a macabre little creature at heart <laughs> so um moving on from jeffrey dharma this is an australian chap called ivan millet body count seven um his his modus operandi was he tied victims up and left them face down uh, this was in uh, the outback in new south wales in australia so oh god that didn't, didn't work out very well for a lot of them um he basically preyed on backpackers in that area between 1989 and 1993 uh, they so did find some victims decapitated it's not clear whether this was before or after they died um, mm. He is currently in prison, serving seven consecutive life sentences, plus 18 years life without parole. And he inspired the film Wolf Creek. I imagine he also inspired films like The, the, the Hills Have Eyes and Hostel, mm. <laughs> to a certain extent. Or at least, you know, he sort of filtered in the back there, if people had heard of him. I think it's it's the backpackers, man. Like, you... you... <laughs> I know thousands, millions of people have ba have you know have done backpacking and stuff like that, but I think a lot of sort of movies which have sensationalised these sorts of murders well, like the have Blair Witch Project, for example. Yeah, which I know yeah, it's a supernatural like, thing, but yeah, but as in like nowadays, you just you wouldn't even think about. I certainly wouldn't think about backpacking. Like, yeah, I'm going to disappear off into the Australian bush. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> and that's not even thinking about spiders and dingoes and you know other things that might want to kill you. Kangaroos. Snakes. I mean, Kang like, oh my god, male red kangaroos. kangaroos. Terrifying. They're terrifying. 
Yeah, they'll drown you as well. Yeah. People don't think they they're like they drown. They drown people. You don't think of kangaroos drowning people, but they do. Like Australia is designed to kill people. It's like it's like if God made a continent and said, and, and no humans shall live here, except maybe these guys because they're cool. And then a bunch of Europeans arrived and went, this seems like a great place. Like no, in what world? I can understand why they sent prisoners there. Like I love Australia. You know, I'm I'm technically quarter Australian. I I've spent many happy you know christmases in australia which is a weird place to spend christmas by the way but it's full of things that want to kill you man (laughs) alan i'm quite interested in going despite the pallor of my skin and the fact that i really should only come out at night um but alan's like no i'm not going i'm not going it's basically jurassic park i'm not fucking going (laughs) so that's his opinion i have friends in australia if if you're like if you're in the cities if you're in melbourne or you're in perth or things like that it's fine that's fine but like going into the outback without just just on your own terrible idea i mean i'm sure it's beautiful but i'm sure it is beautiful but go with a group go with an actual guide who knows the area go with people who know where you are i mean for god's sake it's terrifying yes um, okay. and I say that with the incredible sympathy. Like I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about these poor people who this guy, well, who this guy killed. The weird thing is, he seems to. I mean, it was it wasn't gendered. It was kind of like just backpackers, and he seems to have just been irritated that they were there and they weren't as bushcrafty as he was. So, it's, uh, in in a weird sort of let that be a lesson to you kind of way. That's terrifying. Which is, yeah, it's not great. Um, Okay, moving on to the Zodiac Killer. This is one a lot of people have heard of and inspires Mm. almost a disproportionate amount of dread and fear considering that his... his, Well, actually, we don't know. We don't know who the Zodiac Killer is. He was never caught. We assume it's a he because statistically a serial killer is white and male and sort of mid-30s to mid-40s. And um, you know that's just that's just it, it's something that it is. That's one where it's a case of no, that that is where the bad white guys go. <laughs> um, yeah, but his body count was only five. I say only five. That's not great. He claimed thirty-seven killings, but it's likely there were only five. And he preyed on couples in Northern California. He tended to shoot or shoot at short range or stab couples. Uh, he was never caught. He inspired a number of films and series. Um, you can see things in things like Dexter, um, mm. where you know you have serial killers pitted against serial killers in that, and it's which is bizarre in its own right. But you know, if you see some of the others, that they clearly follow a similar MO to the Zodiac killer. He seems to have been one of these ones who preyed on, or you know, fed on the idea of fear and terror, and mm. it seems to have been one very brief period of time, and then stopped there's been nothing since but you know sent sent sort of provocative messages to the police and um you'll never catch me etc and and drove the terror higher so i think got off on that aspect of it yeah i think to be honest that's probably one of the reasons that that makes the zodiac killer so um popular in media is the fact that a they were never caught and b they there was this correspondence yeah 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 i agree with that and we will find that with some of the others that we'll talk about in a Mm. minute um right this next one's a bit of a contentious one for me because 
yes, female serial killers do exist. Generally, they're assisting a man. Mm-hmm. And generally, there is a sexual motivation in it as well. But there are some female serial killers who work just for their own agenda. Mm. I am not convinced that Eileen Vornish was actually someone who should be counted a serial killer, despite the fact that she serially went and murdered people. Um, I'll explain why in a minute. Anyway, her body count was seven. Uh, She shot people at close range and she targeted men she claimed had raped her. She started in prostitution as a child in exchange for food and cigarettes after being abandoned by her mother in Florida. Uh, She later Mm -hmm. went on to work as a prostitute and then started her her career of tracking down these men that she claimed had assaulted her in some way and, and, you know, killing them. Um, So she clearly had a very definite MO. She wasn't Mm -hmm. about sort of torturing or getting off on on killing them. It was just a case of, no, I'm going to remove them from the gene pool kind of thing. Uh, Where is she now? Well, she's dead. She was executed via lethal injection in 2002. It, I know this sounds crazy, but I I do sometimes forget that the death penalty is still a thing in America. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it depends on a state by state basis mm. as well. So you know, we I forget sometimes that you can't judge the U.S. all on one set of values. Actually, it's like no. it's like lots of little individual two us really. Um, mm. But but yeah. Um, Obviously, they had enough evidence. She confessed. Um, But I don't know because, okay, compare her with this next female serial killer that I've got and see what you see what your verdict is. Um, Mm. This is Janine Jones. She is also an American serial killer. Her -hmm. body count is up to 60. Victims are infants and children. God. She was a licensed vocational nurse at uh, Bexar County Hospital, which is now called the Hospital of San Antonio. And she used injections of digoxin, heparin, or succinylchlorine, which is a paralytic, uh, to induce medical crises in her patients. Um, when she was finally caught and convicted of poisoning six children at a later place she went to work, mm-hmm. um, she claimed she was trying to stimulate the creation of a paediatric intensive care unit in in Careville. Um, currently, she's serving two counts, 99 years plus 60 years in prison. She's not eligible for parole until she's roughly 87 years old. She did inspire, allegedly, Annie Wilkes from Stephen King's book Misery. Now... In my opinion, she fits the parameters of a serial killer far better than the previous one. Yeah, I would agree with you. I suppose when we think of serial killer, we think of someone who is doing acts for their own enjoyment, if that makes sense. Yeah, their own gratification. To fulfil something inside of them, rather than someone who is... I suppose... Uh, and usually the people that they are killing don't have any kind of relation to them with a serial killer you might the serial killer might well attack other people because they because of something 
personal to them. So for instance, they might target certain women because they had a troubled relationship with their mother. That is documented, we do know that happens. And they might have even killed their mother as well and then continue on. But with a serial killer, you tend to see them targeting people whom they whom they have no relation to. Yeah. Um, and certainly I think with Eileen that I don't agree with murder. Yeah, she was a serial but... murderer, but would we put her down as a serial killer as in she was doing it for kicks? I really don't think so. I, yeah, she, she, she definitely murdered a whole bunch of people. She definitely should, you know, be put in jail for that. But it, for me, it, this feels like a woman driven to the, you know, the edges of desperation, trying to get justice for herself. Yeah. And rather than something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I suppose the thing is, I feel there was a redeemable person there where, yeah. as I'm not convinced with Jenny Jones, and obviously it's not my judgment that matters, and I'm not convinced for two other women that I'm going to mention a bit later. Yeah. Well, hey, this is the other thing is that, you know, the other, <laughs> last week uh, we talked about possession and we talked about that guy whose name I've just, has gone out of my head who who was supposedly possessed and then went home and murdered his wife. Oh, Michael Taylor. Yeah, Michael Taylor. Um, I was horrified when you, you basically told us that, you know, he spent some time in a psychiatric ward and then was free. Yeah. Whereas I think someone like Eileen, who's been through that and has murdered a whole bunch of people, she deserves to be in a psychiatric ward. Not necessarily ever set free, but clearly this is a woman who was mentally disturbed by the events that happened to her. This is a woman who needs help. Yeah. You know, um, more than she needs to be executed. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. From what I know, I would say, yeah, mm. that, that is somebody who, you know, maybe not everybody in those circumstances would turn into a serial murderer, but, you know was was there cause did she need help yeah i definitely think so <laughs> yeah and again this is not me saying therefore it's okay that she murdered i don't i think people if you murder someone in cold blood like that and it's not self-defense or something like that you know there should be some kind of punishment that goes along with that or or there should be there should be something i don't know it's a complicated issue um, but I certainly think that this is not that compared to Janine Jones. Yeah. Um, I, Eileen shouldn't have been executed. What she should have been is sent to a psychiatric ward, maybe for the rest of her life. But yeah, and there's something. Yeah. This is where it can really vary depending on what state you get convicted in. Was she in Texas? She was in Florida. Ah, oh, Florida. So. So, yeah. Um, okay, John Wayne Gacy. You'll really like this one. <laughs> Will I? Codename the Killer Clown. Oh, I really don't like this. <laughs> you lied. You really lied. Um, body count, 33, that we know oh, of. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, his modus operandi, strangulation. Um, he was a children's party clown. He went under two different pseudonyms for that. Generally thought of as a pillar of the community and an all-round nice guy. Uh, 26 of his 33 victims were found in the cruel space of his house. Where is he now? He's dead via lethal injection. And he was the inspiration, we think, for Pennywise in Stephen King's It. Yeah. Although Stephen King, as 
very sensitively removed it and made the killer clown in that aspect a supernatural entity that's basically using that as a, a disguise to lure children in rather than linking it directly to this guy but yeah. um yeah not not great and i don't agree with the death penalty but that might well be the best outcome in that situation yeah, Mo- yeah. most I... of his victims were male uh no in fact yeah i think all his victims were male some of them were children Oh, children and young men. So this is wow. Like we're not even halfway down the list. We're not. I feel physically sick. This is a laundry. <laughs> is I, I am really just giving you the bare bones here. I know. I know you are. I know you are, and I'm. I'm really thankful for that because, like, this is horrifying. Yes. Um, and I think humor is the only thing getting me through this. Very, right very now. black humor. Okay, moving down the list. Now, I did know about Richard Speck because I had watched the two seasons of Mindhunter, um, which is all a, a drama all about how the CIA set up a division that investigated serial killers, and he was one of the guys they featured. Um, mm. His Weirdly, he should probably be more classed as a spree killer because he committed all his murders on the same night, although there's right. possibility that he may have committed prior murders. Nobody's ever been able to prove it, and no one's really sure. Um, body count eight at least but definitely these eight committed eight murders on the same night in 1966 he raped and killed eight nursing students living in a townhouse together the ninth escaped by hiding under a bed he died of a cardiac arrest serving out his 400 to 1200 year sentence in prison Um, and inspired potentially the final girl trope because that poor girl hiding under the bed (laughs) just my god i cannot imagine what she must have gone through yeah having having to live through that and having to hide while listening yeah to that and escape that is just so horrifying yeah absolutely very very disturbing um one thing i'll say is it's noticeable that a number of these serial killers died in prison a number of them are either beaten to death by other inmates or Mm. um die of a heart attack at a very young age with no prior heart problems Mm. so um i'm not inferring but i am in kind of inferring i'm not necessarily condemning anybody for anything on that one yeah (laughs) uh next up we've got the boston strangler Yes, um, Albert DeSalvo, uh, body count 13, obviously strangulation. It's a bit disputed as to whether they've ID'd the right guy for this. Um, and, you know, we can't ask him because he's now dead, stabbed by a fellow inmate, as I was saying. Mm. Um, two facts that I do find interesting. Um, I think it was in... 1993 they did find dna evidence that definitely linked him to at least one of the murders um Mm. he confessed to the others and years ago when i was doing a deep dive into some of the more disturbing reasons that that, you know women sometimes are targeted and attacked in order to pass the relevant information on to my self-defense classes um there was an interesting account i read whereby there was one woman who was going out with a guy who was handsome and charming except when he sort of just, you know, switched. And 
she had a really odd feeling about him and eventually they broke up and years later she discovered he was the Boston Strangler and it was the it was the point was that there was this sense of yeah there's something not right there's something genuinely not right and there were other women who'd come forward and said no this guy had asked them out and there was something not right that not right feeling um and the reason mm. i bring this up is if you are listening to this and you ever get that hmm, there's something not right feeling trust that instinct okay <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um <laughs> okay uh the next one um jack the ripper Jack the Ripper... Possibly the most famous serial killer of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Even though Jack the Ripper's, what, confirmed body count is how how many? Five. We say confirmed five, yeah, it's five. Um, Jack the Ripper is a weird one for me because it confuses me. I, I mean, I understand it, but there's something quite alarming about the way that Jack the Ripper has been sensationalised. I mean, you go to parts of London and he's everywhere. Yeah, and the Tower of London where you have the, you know, you can go down and there's displays in the dungeons and you go to Madame Tussauds and there's the, you know, again, there's there's the sort of dungeon display with Jack the Ripper's victims, etc. Um, there's so yeah. much misinformation about it. For example, the the idea that he preyed on prostitutes. Well, actually, we don't know that they were actually prostitutes. There's very little evidence that they were, that they've assumed these poor women were prostitutes simply because they were forced to be out on a street at night time. They may not have been prostitutes yeah. at all. They may have been walking home from work, having worked in a workhouse or a, a factory yeah. or something. Um, the other thing is, we don't know who he was. He, he, or if it was even a he. Yeah, he did a horrific... It, it probably was, though, if we're playing statistics. But yeah, you're right, we don't. Yeah. Um, he had a very short career of evil, shall we call it, and what he did was, was shocking at the time and was also then bumped up by the penny dreadfuls of the time as well, who were making mm-hmm. their money off uh, of creating lurid stories. Um, and he his modus operandi was throat slashing and then apparently medical examination of female sexual organs by dissecting them. Yeah. In at least two or three cases, I believe it was. There's even a suggestion that it may have been one of Queen Victoria's sons, although, again, not really proven either way. It was definitely someone with a certain amount of medical knowledge because they were not making random slashes into, into female abdomens. They were, they kind of knew roughly what they were doing. Yeah. Either way, so still There was also the disturbing. taunting lessons to the police. Yes, which could have been somebody just piling on or it could yeah. have been some pranksters, or it could have been a genuine, a genuine sort of like I'm feeding off the terror, I'm inspiring kind of thing, which is a serial killer yeah. thing. I really think the the with Jack the Ripper, um, Jack the Ripper would not live today in the same way; would not be so sensationalized today if we hadn't had, first of all, the letters, which refer potentially to cannibalism as well. Um, but yeah, if, if it had just been slashing throats, I don't think it would have inspired quite as much terror. No, because... To I mean, survive. You know, women did get murdered. Uh, prostitutes mm. genuinely did get murdered. And I think the thing, that's the thing, isn't it? They assume that if you're if you're a woman and you get murdered in that way, then you must have been up to no good. 
Um, the interesting yeah. thing for me is not a couple of years before this, there were a similar group of murders, but without the dissection, um, called mm. the, the nowhere near as well publicised uh, by the by the Thames murderer. And this was someone who murdered women, dismembered them and threw their remains in the Thames. And nobody really seems to know much about this. And I find that really interesting yeah. because usually when someone goes to Jack the Ripper levels, they've, they've already done their experimental kills. I know that sounds really gross, but that, you know, yeah. there's usually a practice one that goes wrong at the beginning because it's actually not that easy to get over the taboo of killing someone. Yeah. So uh, I think that is the thing. It's it's the it's not just the, the horror of murdering someone. It was all of the other taboos which were followed up after that, which has made Jack the Ripper famous. Yes. And, and again, comparatively, I mean, lower body count than Janine Jones, way lower. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, but I I think and again it was it was the details it was these extra details that made people so afraid that caused this hysteria across London during the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because people were fascinated and horrified um, by what was happening and by the gruesome imagery of it all um, in a way that they hadn't been. And again, I do think the the cannibalism, which we're going to talk about as well at another point, guys. <laughs> yeah, look forward to that. Yay. Yeah, yeah, I accidentally <laughs> I was like, it. hey Jules, let's talk about cannibalism. Jules was like, okay. <laughs> like, yay. But Jules accidentally yay. did a lot of research for cannibalism today, so woo. Um, okay. Next one. John Christie. Uh twenty or so years after Jack the Ripper in Yorkshire this time rather than London. We have John Christie. So is your what is in the water in Yorkshire? You've got to wonder, you? It's the same part, weird... <laughs> same part of Yorkshire as well, that's the thing. Um, okay. Which pot is it? Don't go, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, so John Christie, body count eight at least that we know of. And his modus operandi, he would gas his victims so they lost consciousness and then strangle them. At this point, I'm going to say that strangulation is a really popular thing for serial killers. And I think it's because it's an intimacy thing. Um, I realise how disturbing that sounds, but it's a very intimate thing to put your hands around someone's throat and stop them breathing um, in in this way to have that literally in your hands the power of life and death like that and you have to have relatively yeah. strong hands to strangle somebody like that unless you know what you're doing with a trachea so um, yeah. yeah these are these are not well adjusted people these are people who are not good at making connections in in other ways I just thought it's, I'd it's... put that in there <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting though for me that because sometimes strangulation, you know, as you say, it is this intimate intimacy thing, and they want to look into someone's face and be a part of that whole experience. This is making me sick to say it, but it's interesting then that we had John Christie who knocked people unconscious first. Yeah, he this to me speaks of someone who is not confident, um, or he didn't actually want it to, to do be... the act, but isn't. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to be interrupted by perceiving them to be real in any way or having them act in any way he doesn't want them to. Um, yeah, yeah. Or also doesn't feel confident in his own strength and stuff like that and perhaps doesn't want to be 
I don't know, looked down upon. Though, uh, to be honest, I don't think anyone who's in that situation is going to look down on someone who's failing to strangle them. Yeah. Um, look down on isn't the word. But yeah, certainly I think this is a this is a power play in which they weren't actually confident they'd be able to be to maintain the power. Definitely. And especially, okay, to be really gross, if you want to take your time with it as well, if you want to strangle yeah. and release, strangle and release over a period of minutes or you know even hours then having someone who's gassed and can't struggle is better in that respect. Yeah, that's so horrifying. Yeah, it, it is absolutely horrifying. Victims, women, including pregnant women and babies. Um, and the, the one of the really horrible things about this was another man during the hysteria that built up around this was arrested, convicted and hanged in his place before they realised who it genuinely was. When they did get John Christie, they found the bodies buried under his floorboards. He was then sentenced to death and hanged. So, yeah, I think this is one of those ones where this piled on the weight of, no, we need to get rid of the death penalty because, um, here in the UK that is, because the wrong man can go to the gallows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, Peter Sutcliffe. <laughs> yes, better known as the Yorkshire Ripper. Again, another famous one. Again, Yorkshire. <laughs> Yorkshire, and again, the same part of Yorkshire. <laughs> Many years later. Guys, are you okay? <laughs> He's He very specifically targeted women, and there seems to have been a sort of frustrated misogynistic edge to it. So, you know, today we mm. might put him with incels. Um, yeah. Body count 13. In 1969, he believed a prostitute and her pimp had swindled him out of some money. He later came up behind the prostitute and knocked her over the head with a rock. She survived. Um, and he basically got off with a warning, I think, from the police at the time. And then in 1975, he attacked three more women in the same way by, you know, coming up behind them, hitting them with hammers and then trying to stab them. Um, one of them was only 14 years old. All three survived, however, with scars. And then in the period between then, between 1975 and 1981, he went on to actually kill 13 women and attempt to kill others who managed to get away, again, despite being quite badly injured. And Mm. I think it was... They they had something like... They they had... put They put thousands of pounds in to try and find him. They had hundreds of, Mm. of, of people on the case... Um, he wasn't caught until 1981 when the police finally found him with a prostitute. And he was, you know, he'd managed to ditch things like the knife, but they, they found other incriminating stuff in his car, including rope and I think it was a, one of the hammers. Um, they held him in custody for a short time. I imagine that short time was not very pleasant for him. He eventually confessed to 13 counts of murder um i'm going back to the 1980s this was before a lot of the the complaints about police brutality and things i remember all those those things Mm. coming out and you know you had fewer women in the police force and you had when the police genuinely believed that they had the right perp as it were quite a few were willing to knock them about a bit that's all i'll say on the matter Yeah. yeah Um, that said, they were absolutely certain they have the right guy. He's currently serving 20 consecutive life sentences and a whole life order, 
you know, it was actually commuted to a whole life order um, in the sense of he's never coming out again. You know, there's no chance of parole. He's not going to ever have served his time. They wanted no chance, yeah. basically. Yeah. You And actually, I think you took inspiration from from that for I Belong to the Earth, didn't you? Yeah, a tiny bit, really. Um, and it's the... I mean, I even mention it in I Belong to the Earth, so I'm not, like, fictionalising a real serial killer here. But the idea mm. that, you know... The Yorkshire Moors, the North Yorkshire Moors are good dumping grounds and that it's these vulnerable women who are being attacked and people are not willing to listen. So I, I tapped into that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a supernatural element to mine as well in the sense of people not not remembering. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was horrific. And I remember, I do remember some of the, even though I was very young, I remember some of the news um, you know the manhunt, the frustration at not being able to get to catch this guy. I would have been very, very small, but it's amazing what you absorb at that age. Yeah. Okay, Ted Bundy. Pretty much everyone's heard of Ted Bundy. Um, body yeah. count thirty plus. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail about what he did, but he preyed on college girls. Uh, his modus operandi: strangulation, beating, necrophilia. So, you know, fill in the blanks mm-hmm. yourself. Um, he was incredibly difficult to catch. You know, he had he had something that he saw almost as a sacred crusade, something that he was entitled to do. And he was very good at disguising himself, at moving around from place to place, at evading the police. He was imprisoned briefly and he escaped. Um, and when they finally did catch him, you know, in the lead up to his trial, he actually assisted the police with killing killing sorry killing that's a bit of a slip there with catching another serial killer who i'll talk about in a minute um because he, ted bundy managed to get in this guy's head and say that's what his motives are mm. and if you ever feel like really freaking yourself out go and read or listen to some of ted bundy's confessions because they genuinely are the stuff of nightmares <laughs> i mean by his own admission you know he uh, he described himself as being cold-hearted the most cold-hearted person you'd ever meet um i mean he is defined as the sort of the definition of heartless evil yeah by his own defense team you know yeah i mean they've made a film about him called the perfect stranger i believe and his lawyer actually came out and said yeah, that that is almost a perfect depiction of Ted Bundy. So they obviously, you know, he he made no friends in that. He was not a charismatic serial killer, which you know you see in some cases. Um, where is he now? Yeah. He's dead. He sat in the electric chair in 1989. Yeah. Um, and again, we. I I I sometimes think I'm just going to quit the internet because of some of the things that I see about people. Um, you know, who who seem to really like him, or seem to sometimes even defend what he did. Like I think there's maybe I'm mixing him up with somebody else, but you know, it's like oh, he saved a boy from drowning. Seems like maybe he wasn't an evil guy. He was just you know maybe he just got fed up of girls or something like that. Like this was an actual thing that I saw someone genuinely write. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's disturbing the kind of people you can find on the internet, definitely. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I actually find this next guy kind of more disturbing in some ways. Um, this is the BTK killer. In case you're wondering, BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill, which is what he did. Um, this guy, his name is Dennis Rader. His confirmed count is 10, which, you know, compared mm -hmm. to Bundy and other people, isn't that high. But the way he fed off the terror he inspired, you know, like a vampire sending messages to the police and to the media and to family of the victims, um, is is just one of those, yeah, this is, this is one that really puts the, the willies up me. This is someone who has taken a departure so far from human that they may as well not mm. be the same species. Um, and he, you know, started this, it was men, women and children. He wasn't picky about his victims. He started in the 70s and was finally caught in 2005. He's currently yeah. in prison serving 10 consecutive life sentences. And he basically inspired the mundane serial killer because here's the thing. He was a father and a Cub Scout leader. You know, he was... He, mm. he was he was Joe Boring. Nobody would have looked at him twice and realised that he was BTK. Mm. So whenever you see something with a, an implausible, boring serial killer, this is the guy they're, they're basing it on. Yeah. It just That just gives me the... Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Our next guy has inspired a lot, though. Yeah, and... And I've heard the argument, this is Ed Jean, the butcher of Plainfield. He's technically only killed two people. But the things he did put him on the list um, because they were just so, again, beyond the realms of, of what we would consider normal at all. Um, yeah. He, he shot, mutilated and skinned people, two people, and uh, he exhumed other people who'd been recently buried and skinned them too. Um, he actually oh. created himself a human suit out of human skin. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. And, you know, he inspired Psycho, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Silence of the Lambs. I'll leave you to work out why. Uh, yeah. If Where is he now? He died of cancer on a psychiatric ward. So, <sighs> he's, he's out of the gene pool, so that that's probably a good thing. Yeah. I but yeah, this is definitely again. This is this is someone who, it's not it's not just the cold horror of murdering someone or torturing someone. This is that's just disturbed. Yes, I mean that's next level disturbed to want to skin people and wear it as a suit and to wear it and to wear it as a suit. That's horrifying. It is just so far outside of what we would understand. It may as well be an orbit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again sort of why I can understand people have taken inspiration from that because it is truly scary because again, you know, we talked about the the missing of social cues, you know, doing something outside the the parameters of what we expect people to do. And the moment someone starts to move outside of those parameters, we're we're afraid of them because we don't know what they'll do next. Yeah, And this is definitely a guy who you cannot fathom, you cannot understand, you really don't know what their next move is. And I can... I mean, that's just sickeningly terrifying. Yeah. Um, I've actually got a couple that I didn't put on the list, but I will be very quick. 
Um, the next yeah. one, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. This is going to be a, a brief one. I'm only mentioning him because Ted Bundy was the one who helped to catch him by providing right. what his motivation was. Um, mm. Body count, 49, although he confessed to 71, but 49 confirmed. Uh, modus operandi, strangulation, necrophilia, and dumping in the Green River. <laughs> I don't really need to go into more detail than that. But again, whenever you get a, somebody out in the middle of nowhere, weird guy, serial killer, you've probably got someone who's based a bit on Gary Ridgway. Right. But yeah, Bundy managed to get in his head. Or Bundy was already in his head because Bundy was kind of already like that. And hmm. it's through the information that, that Bundy put forward that they managed to catch him. So again, this is all during the, the CIA thing where they were... You know, a few of the CIA officers were tasked with this new division and they went out and spoke to actual court serial killers before they, you know, before mm. they disappeared. Um, before they disappeared, that was a nice way of saying before they were executed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, started building up profiles and things. So all the things that we take for granted now had to start somewhere and they started sort of in the 70s, 80s, etc. And yeah. from, from stuff like this. So yeah okay i'm going to mention this one just because i think this is uh basically the inspiration for so many teen type horror films <laughs> this is the phantom mm. killer um we don't know who it was he was never caught and yeah body count five dead three wounded uh his he seems to have gone for double homicides targeting couples so couples who are out sort of courting or whatever this was in the mid-40s in a small town in Texas. Um, it, I think it was over a very brief period of time. Um, but during that period of time, it, it, it caused such terror, probably because it was the mid-40s and they just weren't expecting it, uh, yeah. that, you know, it's echoed even today. And it's it definitely inspired films like The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I think it feeds mm. into things like Scream and I think it also fed into Jason Voorhees in Halloween where you've got that, you know, I know that was based yeah. on someone else, but you've got that guy who who very much preys on couples. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay, last one. I think that's all we... Oh, oh we've got one more. Okay. No, we've got two more. We've got two more. And I have to mention oh, these God, two. Oh, God, two more. Okay. All right, okay. One because okay, it happened okay. very locally I'm to me. bracing myself. And the other one is... Oh, okay. Um, the, well, the first one, again, female serial killer. Uh, this is Carla Homatha, who, body count, we're talking three. She assisted her husband. Uh, so she teamed up with her husband on a basically a rape-murder modus operandi. And... She assisted her husband to abduct, rape, and kill at least three young women, including her own sister. Um, oh. Where is she now? She's remarried and living in Quebec. What? I think they... What? They... It seems from transcripts of things she said that were released long after her, her hearing and the trial, etc., that she was actually far more complicit than she actually let on. So... Yeah, but I, I think the way they did it was obviously they try husbands and wives separately. And yeah. when you get these, these killing teams, which, you know, happens a bit more than you, you like to think. Um, and yeah, she she basically was like, well, he was the one doing it. He had power over me, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I would just like to say that there are women who, you know, it's not common, but there are women who will play the, well, I was helpless, he was the powerful man card. And it's not true. They were as actively participating, you know, they were oh. just as in it as, as, as the man was. So I think we, have, can, we, we can't just make assumptions based on somebody's gender and how attractive they are, which does seem to have been a factor. Yeah. So that's a disturbing one. Final one, the one that has genuinely given me nightmares <laughs> over the years. Okay. And that, that is Fred and Rose West. Yeah. Um, obviously, this all happened during a time period when I was alive. Uh, no, not all of it. I wasn't alive in 1967, but you know, a large proportion of it was during when I was alive, <laughs> and certainly when they were when they were finally caught, I was old enough to see the news and to sort of understand what was going on. Um, body count at least twelve, including Fred's stepdaughter, Heather West. Um, disturbingly, if you read anything about this, you'll find that for years they were joking. They said Heather had run away, but they were also joking to people and saying, oh yeah, Heather's under the patio. And actually Heather was under the patio. Uh, all their victims were young women. They seem to have been involved. In, this seems to have been a sexual gratification motivation, including rape, bondage, torture, and mutilation. And this was from their house on Cromwell Street. Now that house doesn't exist anymore, but Cromwell Street is walking distance for me. Or you know, it it's a good couple of miles, but it's it's in Gloucester. It's not very far away. I could walk there easily enough. I've actually walked over where the house was. Um, the reason they tore the house down after the couple were imprisoned was because ghoulish relic hunters kept turning up and taking bits of the house as souvenirs. What? Yeah. Um, this is where it gets weird and interesting for me. Is that you know, obviously they had bodies buried in the garden and concealed in the walls and all sorts fred west was an extremely talented carpenter he had peep holes drilled into walls and and all sorts and crawl spaces and it all cunningly concealed away the house was kind of an extension of his personality and they ran kind of like a dossing house so if you came into gloucester um you were a young runaway or you didn't have anywhere to go they'd say oh yeah go over to the west and some people went and stayed there and reported how hospitable this couple was and how lovely they were and they left and no harm came to them. And some of them I never heard of again. Um, and it, it seems to have just been a roll of the dice thing. And it's very, very disturbing. I worked with somebody who who met Fred West. You know, she said he came in, he was a workman em employed to do some, some work on the building where she was working at the time. And she said, you know how you, you look at, you know, some men, you just get that, there's something dicey about you vibe. She said, yeah, hmm. you gave me that dicey vibe. And then someone Alan went to school with, her dad was friends with Fred West, and he used to carry her sort of like horsey style on his shoulders as a teenage girl. So if that doesn't make you think there but for the grace of God. Yeah. And one of the most disturbing things I find about the West is the number of copycats they had in the area. I mean, they're saying 12 confirmed kills, but it could have been many, many more because he had many other places. And every so often they'll dig up another body around Gloucestershire and there'll be mm. certain markers which suggest they may have had something to do with the Wests. So um, anyway, where are they now? Well, Fred West committed suicide the 1st of January 1995 after his house was torn down. So... Weirdly, it's kind of like by tearing down his house, his big project, the big 
magnum opus of his life where he had his tortured dungeons and whatever um sort of destroyed something and he didn't want to live anymore yeah it doesn't seem that getting caught was the problem it seems that tearing down that was uh, rose is serving 10 life terms and a whole life order so she will never leave prison but she was absolutely complicit in everything her husband did yeah so there we go <laughs> okay <sighs> That was like an experience. Yes. Um, <laughs> not necessarily a positive one. <laughs> it's not. And, you know, seeing them all like that. I mean, there were more I could have added to the list, but I'm not going to. Uh, no. But it is, despite that, it's all comparatively really rare. It's very, very unusual for humans to go that badly wrong. Um, yeah. To become that incomprehensible that you, you can't recognise them. As, as members of your own species almost yeah absolutely i mean this is you know this is the important thing is that i think if it was more common it would almost wouldn't be as scary yeah because i think the scariest thing is is the fact that it just it feels so shocking yeah definitely um and it feels shocking because it is rare so you know human evil is more terrifying than anything we can invent i think it's why, in some cases, I'm willing to watch scary movies which are about, you know, like, ghosts and stuff like that. But I can't watch series or things like that which which are about people, particularly if they're based on real people. Like, have you seen the recent BBC... I think it's BBC... The Serpent? No. Um, my family watched it it was an evening thing and I refused to watch it because I really couldn't I couldn't watch it based on a real life person who and I've forgotten his name but he went around the, he went around scamming people of money um, and what he did was that yeah he would murder travellers and stuff like that take everything and then just jump off into the next person yeah. you know um, and that it, it just it scares me too much. I I can't handle it. I don't want to handle it because it, it's too much. But again, you know, having a vehicle for such things as a film, you know, the reason why we have these films is it does give us a way to process these horrors in what is hopefully a productive way. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we've said before, some slasher films, the more removed from their original subjects, the better are actually even entertaining or funny and i mean i'm yeah. thinking of i don't know if you've seen any of the recent there's like a trilogy of rl stein films that recently came out on netflix that are about a certain town and you know allegedly the witch who was um hanged there many many years before and the fact that she comes back every so often and kills another bunch of people and yeah, you know, the first one's classic slasher film, the second one goes a bit more horror, and the third one goes a bit more historical horror, and actually they are really entertaining films. But again, they're not about real people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um... <laughs> yeah, and then you, you say Spatterpunk is boring. Spatterpunk is boring for Jules, and it's just nauseating for me. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't mean that you're wrong if you enjoy Spatterpunk, because some people get something out of it, some, you know, the same sort of catharsis or entertainment or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just, 
Um, I come from the wrong sort of background to find it interesting, I guess. Yeah, and I don't actually like gore, so, you know, so, there's that. Um, which is funny, because yeah. you've written some of the goriest scenes. <laughs> I have, but I like, it's a little bit different if it's in a book, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's also different for me because I... I'm not actually a highly visual person when it comes to imagining things. I'm not a very visual person. Um, so I'm not very good with watching films or things like that. But if there's a little bit in a book, I can sort of get away. I can get away with it. Yeah. And it's also different if you're the one writing it. I suppose because you're in control, aren't you? So. Yeah. Though to be fair, Jules, the things that has scared you most about the the kind of the horror things that I've written hasn't been the gore. <laughs> has it <laughs> um i think it was more the corrigan it wasn't so much scare it was kind of like repulsion there's something not right here no kill them on sight kind of that's, that was my knee jerk yeah but i mean i think you were also freaked out by the guiles oh well that's just one of those yeah i'm sorry i get the same feeling from him that i get from certain serial killers as in yeah okay great but we need to remove you from the gene pool <laughs> like yeah now. absolutely He's, I think, De Giles is the only character I've ever written who is, like, properly, properly, properly a serial killer. Yeah. Like, as in, he's actually really getting something out of this. Um, out, out of all of it, he's he's a serial killer. You do have people like Aaron, who's an assassin. He's killed a lot of people, but he kind of... He's not doing it vindictively, if that makes it's, sense. It's just a job, I mean, which kind it's of makes him more job. of a sociopath than a... Yeah, he, he's a total sociopath. Don't get me wrong, like, Aaron is one of those characters I like on paper who I don't like... You'd never want to meet him in person. Yeah. That's a scary guy. <laughs> right there. That's a terrifying yeah. person. But you can kind of understand what he's doing, whereas someone like Deguiles, that it, it's just so totally... Yeah, removed. But yeah, as you know, we need to say, having gone through all of this, serial killers are rare. Um, and uh, but I think the reason they come to mind is because they are what they do is so horrific that it sort of takes up more residence in us in our heads. Again, Jack the Ripper, excellent example. When you have what was it the 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 Thames Killer was it? Yeah, the Thames the... Killer. Who I think it was yeah, seven the... bodies of Thames Killer. Just slightly yeah. before. And in fairness, Victorian London was not like the hub of forensic activity, so... Yeah. For all we know, it could have been the same person. But yeah, certainly um, horrific serial killers, they will stay in our minds, you know, a lot more. And it, it seems that they there's always a few, because yeah. serial killers go back centuries. I mean, I saw it suggested Vlad the Impaler, and I think... Yes, because I think some of that was expedient violence because that's what he needed to keep control of Wallachia at the time. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, he does seem to have quite enjoyed it. Yeah. So it, it's different though, isn't it? No one was going to hold him to a standard and say, you can't do that because he was the king. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Effectively. Um, there's also Marianne Cotton who poisoned her husband's, her husband's in the series, obviously, and um, children, stepchildren, during Victorian times. Um, it's reflected in fairy tales as well. You've got things like the robber bridegroom, where the robber bridegroom um, 
marries young women and then murders them and then moves on to the next one and he there's cannibalism in that story as well it's very gruesome which you'd expect from a grim fairy tale i mean hell even the story of shaharazad yeah i mean it's this guy who's so paranoid that his wife is going to cheat on him that he'll marry people sleep with them and then the following day kill them yeah and then marry someone else and he just murders and murders and murders i mean yeah yeah, at some point, if that doesn't strike you as illogical, then maybe it's the killing itself you're really in it for. Yeah, absolutely. So in conclusion, yes, it's some very freaky stuff, but don't allow it to rent out a room in your head for yeah. too long. Um, and yeah, enjoy the films or not. Uh, take the inspiration for your own writing or not. And, you know, don't be overly anxious. Um, this this episode has largely been for entertainment and also for kind of reference purposes for people who are interested in writing crime thrillers or pure horror and want to go off in that direction. Yeah. But as we've said, you know, consider these things carefully and remember that just because perhaps for your own, you know, sense of defence, you've removed it from reality... Um, if you are discussing it, if you are talking about it or writing about it or things like that, consider it with the gravity that it deserves, particularly if you're talking about real life people. Um, but don't feel ashamed for enjoying slasher films or things like that, or for actually getting a sense of catharsis out of it. That doesn't make you a bad person in the least. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and on that note, we are wrapping it up for today. But before we go, we've got time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation. And Madeline has one for us this week. I do. And my God, guys, you got, we really need something much lighter. So I'm going to go for something super light now. Now, it probably won't be on in the cinemas. Well, unless you have a cinema that's got some really backdated stuff now. Um, but there was a recent movie um, with... It's not Ryan Gosling. Why is Ryan Gosling coming to mind? <laughs> it's not Ryan Gosling at all. It's because um, you wanted to think of something nice after all this. It's like something nice. Ah, Ryan Gosling. Uh, no, it's um, Deadpool. What's his name? Ryan Reynolds. Yes. That's it. I had the first name right. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Um, Taika Watiti as well. New movie called Free Guy. Yeah concept is uh there's a video game okay and one of the npcs or maybe all of the npcs have started to gain conscious hmm. consciousness and free guy is one of the npcs and basically as far as he's concerned he lives in a world where there's the separation between everybody else and then the people with the sunglasses and the people who wear the sunglasses can do whatever they want in the city and you see them and they perform bank heists every few you know every few hours and he works at the bank and he has the same sort of catchphrases and stuff like that and then one day something changes for him and he wants to do something a little bit different um, and over the course of the movie, he discovers, you know, this is a fake world um, and that the the game, the game owner is, you know, there's the threat of the game, the game creator shutting it down. Um, and the original coders for the game are trying to save it for different reasons, etc. Um, it's actually a really, really nice film. It's funny. It's bright. Um, it's got some really great acting in it. Again, Ryan Reynolds, just fantastic comedic actor. 
um it's it's beautiful there's some really nice like visuals but also the soundtrack is good uh, there's a really nice cameo as well i'm not gonna mention who it is but like good cameo good use of cameo taika watiti as the villain as the antagonist so funny like hilarious really really well done highly recommend it particularly if you just need something a little bit light and fun to watch with a sort of a happy ending um definitely worth watching that's free guy uh keep an eye out for it guys i'll have to look out for that it i like um taiko wakiki and it's just like that one's completely passed me by so i will look out for it yeah and on that note guys we're gonna say thanks very much for listening stay safe and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.